This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Homeschooling with Technology show. Your host, Meryl Vandermerva, loves using technology to streamline her life and to make lessons more engaging. She is a graduated homeschool mom and teaches homeschoolers at her local co-op classes and online at fundafundaacademy.com. Whether you are tech-challenged or someone who loves technology, this show is for you. And here's your host, Meryl Vandermerva. Hello, and welcome to the Homeschooling with Technology podcast. This is your host, Meryl Vandermeer, and today in episode 158, I'm going to be talking to you about some online primary history sources. Now, if you're not a big history lover and this sounds like a yawn to you, please just stay and listen. It's not going to be a long episode and maybe I will change your mind about history and why it can be so exciting. So first of all, in case... Uh, the term primary source is unfamiliar to you. Let me just explain. A primary source is basically a source from someone who was there. Um, so it would be a diary or a journal account of something. Now, obviously, these things could still have bias because people have bias, but it is a first-hand account. A photograph would also count as a primary source because there's a photo if it's taken at the time and not been doctored in any way. A newspaper article would be a primary source. Um, a, a legal document, uh, anything like that would be a primary source. And this is the way that historians actually piece together what happened by looking at accounts of people from that time. Now, obviously, um, a lot of what your children will be looking at and learning is not a primary source, but a secondary source. So if they're using a textbook, it's a secondary source. And uh, that is great, but you are, of course, reading somebody's interpretation. And why is it not perhaps your interpretation? And so if you go back to the primary sources, you can actually form your own opinions about what happened by reading what people say at the time. As I said, you know, there's no perfect way of knowing without um, taking a time machine back. But I love using primary sources. I, I do teach um, at Showhost Funder Fund Academy. I teach the U.S. history class, and I also have some unit studies um, currently on World War One. Sorry, World War Two. I've got two on World War Two, and I'm hoping to expand to more. And even in those, you will find well, in fact, especially in those, I use a lot of primary sources, and particularly in my U.S. history class, I let students go back and take a look for themselves. Now, if you are using another curriculum, you may be thinking, well, how would I use a primary source? Well, first of all, there is the National History Day competition, which many homeschoolers do take part in. And I know just from the state that I'm in, many of them have been very successful, including actually some of my own children. <coughs> I did episode number five was about National History Day because some of the ways that you can present the research is actually digital. And so it's using tech. Um, so you can make movies, you can um, create uh, websites. And so I uh, have actually talked about it. And I would really encourage you if you've got middle and high schoolers to perhaps consider letting them enter. It's a great way for children to learn how to do research. And that is why they do need to learn about primary sources and how to use them and how to find them. Because when they go to college, this is what they're going to need to use. And National History Day... A lot of the success that students will have or not have will be dependent on how many primary sources they have. I know that if students come in with only one or two primary sources, they have very little chance of um, getting to the next round. So, and it's, it's, it goes local, 
sometimes it's local, regional, depends on um, exactly how your state does it, but in this state, and then the winners from state go on to nationals, which is in D.C. each summer. It's really great fun. I did manage to attend with one of my children. So, but if your child doesn't do contests and you think my kid will never do that, well, I think if you listen to what's in some of these primary sources, you will see ways that you could perhaps even just bring it in to um, perhaps your um, morning routine or things you could do over lunch or just occasionally when you have spare time to go and dig into some of these resources. Or of course, if you're putting your own curriculum together. So I'm just going to share four with you today, so it's not overwhelming. And um, if you are driving or something and you can't remember these, just go find the show notes at homeschoolingwithtechnology.com and I will link to all these sources. The first one is called eyewitness2history.com. And uh, this has a, a limited number of basically eyewitness records, but there are plenty for you to get stuck in with. So here, if your child is like really interested in, say, World War II, there are a lot from World War II. So there are specific eras um, and you can sort of click the tabs at the top and then find all the different first-hand accounts about that particular was World War II or whatever it is. So great if you've got a child that's really interested in something specific. There's obviously Civil War, I can't remember what the other ones are, but there are quite a few different time periods. Um, I just actually went and had a look because I'm teaching a World War One class right now and I went to see what they had and ended up on almost I think the first one that I clicked on was a first-hand account of an aerial battle by two British guys um, who were flying together and coming across a German plane but of course this was World War One in those dinky little planes and they literally were using pistols just ordinary sort of revolver pistol things and when they ran out of ammunition the the guy wasn't flying took the gun and threw it at the other plane's propeller which of course the kids thought was really funny so it was just it was just so unique and different and just reading this account of their first aerial battle was not what I expected and the kids loved it so you can go and find all these cool stories and just read and see there is an index you can sort it also um you can click on the index and then it's ordered by date. So that's also helpful if you're looking for something. But you can also just go and there's a search bar and you can search the whole site. Um, but it's well worth going and digging into to find some interesting stories. The next one is the Library of Congress. You may know about this now. The Library of Congress, of course, you can go and actually go into the Library of Congress in DC, but they have a huge digital collection. And um, you find that at loc, libraryofcongress.gov slash collections. And this is great for serious research. So obviously National History Day, we used to, my kids used to always come on here to have a good look to see what had been digitized and what they could get access to. Because obviously it being online just meant that, you know, you could actually see it. You didn't have to go to DC to, um, you know, try and have a look or try and see what your local uh, library has. Now, um, there is a lot there and you can search to find what you need. And there, sometimes it's the papers are long and hard to read, but you'll also find a lot of photos. Oh, and that's also Eyewitness to History has photos there as well. And they have like a photo of the day, which is pretty cool. But I just want to actually highlight one specific collection just because I, I am somebody I follow on, on Instagram talked about this today. And 
she was telling the story, so Sharon says so, and she's actually been mentioned in an earlier podcast about media bias. Just She's a great person to follow. And she was talking about the fact that um, 150 years, the 150 years birthday of the US came just after the end of World War I in 1926. And Poland decided that they wanted to send a birthday card slash thank you card to the United States government because of how the United States had helped free Poland during World War One, or the end of World War One, And so they made this birthday card, but it was quite an amazing birthday card. It ended up being over a hundred volumes and they had about a sixth of the population actually signed it. All the bigwigs in the government, all the famous people in Poland and the scientists and everybody else, they also got school children and just anybody that they could came and signed it. And they wrote really, really cool things um, about why they were so appreciative uh, of the U.S. and wishing them happy birthday. They also had their best artists um, actually illustrated. The whole thing is just amazing. It was given to Calvin Coolidge, who was president at the time, and he is known as Silent Cal. But the the um, records show that he actually smiled and um, looked pleased, which was not usual for him <clears throat> when he got this. But the nice thing is, guess what? The Library of Congress has digitized it. So you can actually now go and page through and see it for yourself. And I found it just before I started this uh, this this episode. And I will link to it in the show notes because you can actually now go and see it. And this is one of the cool things that you can find in the Library of Congress. The Library of Congress also has the number four is actually part of the Library of Congress, but I'm treating it as separate because it is quite different and it does have its own website um, and its own separate URL. And that is Chronicling America. So it's chroniclingamerica.loc.gov is where you will find it. And this is a digital record of many American newspapers from 1777 to 1963. So you can go and look and find newspapers in your area from a specific year, which means you can go and sort of look for when grandparents were born, the year, the day they were born, what was happening in the news that day. You know, I can just see this is the kind of thing that your kids can really get lost just going and looking to see. Um, obviously, when my children were doing National History Day, they would use this and look to see what were people saying and thinking about a specific event. Because, you know, you do get opinion pieces in newspapers and they do, you know, they would interview local people or there'd be people who'd be affected by whatever they were studying. So there was, there's always a lot that you could find in these newspapers. They do have a feature a um, hundred years ago today. So if you go at any point that you'll always find a newspaper from a hundred years ago today. There is an advanced search, as I said, that lets you drill down to the actual newspaper that you're looking for and the exact year. And um, once you find it, then you kind of click in and it makes the, the type, the print bigger so that you can read it easier. And then the last resource is the Smithsonian History Explorer. And it's historyexplorer.si um, for swissmaninstitute.edu. Um, and this doesn't just have primary sources. It has a lot of other things. It has lesson plans and things like that too. But it does have 
a good deal of very cool primary sources and you can filter to just get primary sources or you can choose artifacts now obviously artifacts are, are a former primary source but if you want to see actual items so say for instance a desk that uh, Jefferson used or um, something that the ancient Egyptians used or whatever it is you can click on artifacts and um, it will show you just those because obviously actual items are also primary sources because they show you what life was like at the time. But there's one more thing you should try there and that is looking at the interactives. Now not all the interactives um, will be primary sources but there are some where they've taken a primary source and made it interactive. I'd forgotten until I went and again was uh, going to have, have a look at this website. I'd forgotten how often I've actually used it. And um, I quickly actually, when I clicked on interactive, saw something that I use in my US history class, my, my high school class. They have a ledger from the 1700s. And um, obviously you can like turn the pages. It's like a flip book where you can turn the pages, but you can also, there's also like they kind of highlight and they ask questions and they drill in so that you can actually, that you and your children as you sit and look through it together can really see what this ledger was showing us about history. So it kind of like helps you and helps bring these primary sources to life. And so it's it's really cool. It's, it's Ramsey's ledger and I will link to it and you can see how fun it is. And then I, I have a whole assignment where the students have to go through and they have to find various things because as you look through a ledger, it tells you so much about what life was like at the time. So it sounds like just a dry and boring thing, but it's really not. And uh, I found this this totally fascinating and it's just really cool the way they made it interactive so you can easily like click through it. Well, there are just the four different primary sources that I like to use online. There obviously are many more, but these are all particularly useful. And uh, whether your child is, you know, doing a history project for you now, whether they're entering National History Day, or you just, or perhaps they have a co-op class, these are good places to start. And it's also good because it will teach your child what they should be looking for. So when they go on to college and they have to find primary sources, they will have a head start and know where they can be looking online um, to find it. Obviously, they'll also have their local libraries, etc. But these are also really good websites to use. Um, I hope that you found this useful and that you use some of these sources. And if you do, and if your children do enter International History Day, I'd love to know. Come and join our Facebook group, the Homeschooling with Technology community, and share what your children are doing with tech and what you have learned from these podcasts there. As always, would love a rating and review if you have a minute to do that uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will see you again, same time, same place, next week. Thanks for tuning in to Homeschooling with Technology with Meryl Vandermerva. Visit her at fundafundaacademy.com and homeschoolingwithtechnology.com. Homeschooling with Technology is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.